Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Fundraising Radicals podcast. I'm your host, Craig Pollard. The Fundraising Radicals podcast is about turning the world of fundraising upside down by sharing and exploring fresh, global perspectives on non-profit fundraising and leadership. These unscripted conversations with friends and colleagues old and new, ordinary and inspiring people who are fundraising and leading community projects, causes, charities and social enterprises in Asia, Africa, the Middle East and Latin America and beyond the traditional boundaries of the non-profit sector. I hope today's conversation challenges and inspires you to think differently about the world of fundraising and your place in it. I hope it helps you to reflect on your own fundraising practice and leadership. But now it's time for another dose of global fundraising ideas and inspiration. Welcome back to the Fundraising Radicals podcast. I'm your host, Craig Pollard. Today's conversation is with Irene Arellano, who is Head of Innovation and Business Development at Care Peru. Irene is working to build transformational partnerships between the cause and companies in Peru that are grounded in shared purpose. This is about bringing together funding, social impact and sustainability and redefining roles so we can free ourselves to build new sorts of partnerships between causes and companies that aren't bound by traditional narrow roles of who can deliver impact and how. I've always been blown away by Irene's generosity, her willingness to honestly reflect on her experiences and to share what has worked and what hasn't. I know you'll enjoy hearing from Irene today. Welcome, uh, Irene Arellano Pineda, uh, all the way from Peru. It's lovely to see you today, and thanks for joining me on the Fundraising Radicals podcast. Thank you, Craig. Thank you for having me, and hello to everybody who will be listening to this. <laughs> Very happy to to be to be here. Tell me about what you do, where you are. Uh, I know you're you're sort of very focused on innovation within the international development space. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. So my name is Irene Arellano, if you want to practice your Spanish. And I am the head of uh, innovation and business development at CARE in Peru. And what is this about? So, you know, in nonprofits, we usually have a team specialized in fundraising like you know the restricted and restricted funds what i now do at care is to think about how social innovation opportunities can bring both things to the field impact as well as uh, resources to the organization so that's what i am developing at care peru right now and i'm based in lima peru <laughs> And what was behind the motivation of for Care Peru setting up and deciding to focus on social innovation? So there is a reality that I think every single professional in the field is sensing uh, for over the past decade, maybe, is that is there is not always enough funding. I think uh, only last year. If we are only looking at humanitarian funding that is needed in the world, there is a 75% gap. And that is being increasing over the years. So we felt this. We we know that there is there are opportunities to implement the work that we do 
which is reducing poverty, especially for women and girls in the country. But sometimes there is not enough funding or the projects are not maybe on the topics that we think we need to be. So yeah, that's a reality. So there is a huge fundraising gap in in the world for so many so many things that uh, should be done, but there is not enough, just not enough money from donations from philanthropy. So we thought, what is going? What else can we do, right? So I consider that we are entering in a new era, of I call it for good era which means it's not only the responsibility for the government to, you know, look after the well-being of people and, you know, reducing poverty and stuff. It's not only the responsibility of nonprofits. It's now a huge pressure on the private sector and not only to do grants or to implement projects, but to think outside of the box and figure out how their, their business can also bring uh, benefits, financial benefits to their stakeholders, but also while uh, promoting impact and not harming the environment. So we think we need to use this force. We need to be in that in that um, table, you know, talking to these people and not only asking them for money, but joining them or bringing them to the conversation. What can we do together to impact at a bigger scale and doing things better together? So that is why social innovation is, we think, the field, the space we both join together. And do you think there's, uh, are you seeing interest for this reflected on the other side of these partnerships within the companies in the corporate space? Short answer is, it is getting there. It's um, <laughs> it's not a 100% yes right now, but I think just last year, there are new regulations. So way to or other, they're going to get there because, you know, consumers, regulations, standards, things are changing. And now we need to start talking about this more and more. You know, philanthropy, that's great. That's awesome. It's been important, but for the private sector is already, a, they, they feel the pressure already to, to, to start doing more. Interesting. And is that pressure coming from what is so it's coming from regulation from government It's coming from the public expectations of, of corporate sector? It, it, it's challenging, right? Because these partnerships sign it sort of tend to fall on between sort of this sort of transactional cash transaction. But you're talking about the other end of that continuum, which is much more transformational projects. That's what you're talking about. And this is this is a challenging space, right? Sort of dragging companies and, and also but within uh, within northern NGOs as well to, to create that space. So how is this space being created within Care Peru? Okay, so I think, first of all, social innovation, the core of, of that is we create financial returns, but we also create impact. It does not stop on not doing no harm. No, it's more than that we create impact we leave something better to the world while getting uh, financial returns can you give me an example so, so i guess we're talking about social innovation but so 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 what for care peru is is an example of social innovation so um right now 
we are piloting a few two um, specific, let's say, products or models. The first one that we we'll be we have been it's been running for a year, a bit more than a year. It's the consulting services that we provide to the private sector to first understand why are we talking when we're saying multidimensional poverty? Why does it matter that you take care of your employees? Uh, why uh, it is important not only to invest, to, to provide some uh, school kids in, you know, I don't know, the beginning of the year, but you also can improve education. How does this improvement can affect your future business? That is what we do at this kind of um, new model. We start the conversation with them. We speak in their language how the impact that they can create in terms of development, it's also is going to impact their business and their you know resilience in general terms, not only thinking about the risks, right? Not, not only thinking about what could go wrong, but also how can they be more prepared for future scenarios? So that's that's the first thing we are doing, and we are it's it's mainly consulting services for the strategy element of corporations. So we're not only working with the teams in in the organizations that are in charge of doing grants or you know giving grants or or doing a specific projects. We work with the CEO. We work with the board members some some of sometimes. Is that a prerequisite that you work with the senior people in the strategic space? Is that sort of where you feel it can make the most impact and difference? Yeah. I mean, I think if you want to do business in general, that, that's the level you, you, you need to start speaking to, right? But, but it's not the minimum requirement. We know we are figuring out what is the best way. But at the end of the day, what we want to do is to really change something within the organization. Because if we only do a small project, a small pilot with them, and nothing goes, you know, after that, we as a norm as an organization at as care, we haven't done our job, right? Like if there is only a campaign, only a volunteering project, it's not enough. We want to go farther. That's how these consulting unit is aligned with our purpose if we don't get there i mean we get of course some funding and we get resources and that's great but it has also be uh, to be aligned with our purpose and it, and it feels very sort of this multi-dimensional because there's an element of sort of educating companies as well yeah so so it feels quite sort of like an ecosystem approach bringing these companies into this sort of social justice equity ecosystem yes yes it is definitely that we think of ourselves and and there's a say in spanish that is called we are el tercero confiable which means we are the third party in a conversation that brings other parties together so we make the most of that, I think, asset that we have as an organization. So we are the ultimate goal or the ultimate impact in the theory of change behind this model, this consulting unit, is to create more resources, combining uh, public and private funds, 
to reduce vulnerability in the country. So for that, we need to start doing, having more of these conversations. If you wanted to call it educating the private sector, yes, educating maybe the private sector, but speaking with to their terms and to find this common ground where we can vision a, a, a potential bigger impact together. Because it is a different language, isn't it? And, and It is. Uh, and do you find yourself sort of halfway between sort of care and halfway between the corporate sector? Because because uh, those those two cultures are very different. Do you see yourself sort of as a broker between those uh, those sectors in that way as, as sort of head of the innovation unit? Yeah, it is definitely, and and I think if people there is there there has be an there must be sorry an office of care in the world. We are one of the most important nonprofits in the world. We are we have a presence in a hundred and more than a hundred and eleven countries. So you know there is a huge brand, a huge. Of course, a legacy you can call it, uh, in pride of of you know being part of care. And sometimes, unfortunately, in specific topics, it's challenging for the teams to to see the opportunity working with the private sector because you know, unfortunately, in in regions like Latin America, the private sector they don't necessarily have the best image in terms of development and protecting the environment you know mining companies so so very sort of yes. a lot a lot of mining yeah and where yeah. where is that coming from is is that in peru or is that a global global issue i mean every northern ngo right is is, is sort of non headquartered ngo is facing this within their corporate partnerships right yeah so first of all like we in care peru we and care in general in the world. We are a network of organi- independent organizations, right? But we work together. There is it's a great network. So we face challenges in fundraising in general all over the world, as I just said. Uh, however, the dynamics are different in the north. Um, I see as somebody who's interested in this field that there is so much that has been done in terms of social innovation and talking to the private sector and, you know, working together. But there is a cultural difference, you know, some specific expectations that you cannot repeat that quite easily to, to the global south. So this is this is really interesting, right? Because because we've had this conversation before, right? About yeah. the sort of the dominant global fundraising orthodoxy is grounded in very narrow experiences of fundraising in North America, in Europe. And there's sort of a lack of a lack of translation, a lack of reflection as to the, the relevance of that culturally into specific contexts in across Asia, Africa, Middle East, Latin America, the Pacific. It just it doesn't work. So in many ways what you're doing is is sort of de- finding your own innovation whatever it's called path to resourcing that that's sort of relevant culturally to, to your context that's that's really exciting and important 
Thank you. Thank you, Craig. I, we are excited about this too. I dare to say that in Peru, we might be the only nonprofit doing this, you know, to like exploring social innovation, exploring other ways to, to do partnerships with the corporate sector. But I'm not trying to say that this is a brand new in the world, you know, like there's so much experience and there's so much we can learn a lot from from other other countries and other um, nonprofits that are doing this in a different way. But what we need to understand in this journey of exploring innovation in fundraising is that there is no recipe, right? Like there is no uh, specific roadmap on this. Uh, there are guidelines, great ideas, great efforts, but the part of which is something I've been experiencing for the last year that I've been doing this, you are going to fail some things. You, The innovator mindset, you have to have it there and fail and fail faster to in order to, you know, iterate and, and try to improve this. It's going to happen. And sometimes this is not something that nonprofits are used to. I mean, we have so little money. We have so little time. Our resources are so limited that if you don't have the support, the right uh, conditions, I would say, organizational conditions and the support and the belief that this is worth trying, it could be more challenging. That's not my case. Fortunately, I have the support, the conditions, some resources. And to do, to really start doing this, trying things and, and learning and hopefully sharing my learnings in platforms like this. T tell me about sort of th this permission to fail, this space for innovation is, is, as you say, so vital and so important and so often not there. Can you tell me about your sort of learning process and, and how, you know, maybe with examples of how you have shifted and, and pivoted and changed your approach over the last year or so? Yes, yeah, so I was I was telling you that we have two kind of pilots right now. The first one is the consulting service, um, and I'm, and the examples I have is for for that. However, we have another one that it's we are creating an impact investment fund um, to manage resources and stuff. I can share about that later. But the first one, so I I spent a few weeks working with. Uh, I, I formed a task force to, to develop the model. I spoke with a few, a bunch, fortunately, of the most important CEOs in the country from, from uh, the private sector. And I launched a few services. Like I did, I, I said, these are my five top services that I think I can. But after, but after your, that was after your conversation, right? You must, you must have had some ideas, but, but it was, yes. was it just sort of, like that first test of is this sort of viable are these products and services that you as, as chief exec of this company would buy and feel has value uh-huh uh -huh. yes i we did that before like we we had like a i'll like i don't know how how many but ideas of what we can bring to the table and that the private sector thing values from an organization like CARE, because I'm not McKinsey, I'm not BCG, right? Like our value driver is we know how to reduce vulnerability and change the life of people. So we know how to do that. Do that. We are on the field. 
we speak the language of the public sector. We speak the language of, of the people. So this can be useful to you to improve your products, to improve your strategy. So we, fig- we figure out like a bunch of services. We validated five, top five, after speaking with the most, a bunch of well, the most important CEOs in the country. I went out to, you know, try to, to see how these services were received. And I had, I emailed like a hundred, you know, CEOs or offices and received almost no reply. Like nobody was interested. How did you feel after that? I failed. (laughs) I mean, I said, this is, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, like, um, I spent six weeks doing this. I took the time of the team uh, to think about this. I spoke with CEOs. I didn't meet a huge launch of this unit, but, you know, soft landing. However, I said, this is not going to, I mean, at a personal level, it was, it it was not fun. Uh, I kind of questioned myself and everything, but that, that's when I learned. This was. This is supposed to happen. I mean, this is supposed to happen. Uh, so it took me. I. I think with me and my team, a few weeks to kind of figure out and get insights and get data of what are the things that are making the companies reach out to us uh, to reply to this offer, and of course having a few more conversations about what is. Why did you not reply? What is this is not interesting to you? And after that, we changed completely the services. But that was great because we needed to do that. And now we we now are running the services that we know for sure because we are selling them. And it's that first that first sale. How, how did you feel compared to the hundred emails and the rejection of that compared to that <laughs> first sale? How did you feel after that first sale? Uh, so... Again, I had two levels at the very, very Irene level. Um, I'm very, how how can I call it? Is is I tend to be super focused. So I said, yes, that's happening. Let's finish the sale. Let's make this. It's a great. Pro-. I was thinking forward. To be very honest, I was. I I felt great, but I was already thinking this is my pilot i i mean this is this is me implementing this so not me i mean the team we are we need to do this right so and at the institutional level it was very much celebrated i mean it was it was great it was great it was like we see now this consulting unit being bigger and bigger every year hopefully and this is our goal that's our goal well, but as a, as a sort of downstream goal from the social impact side, right? It sounds like this is, you know, bringing about this sort of in this ecosystem, bringing the corporates into that and, and sort of engaging them with your vulnerability reduction priorities. Yeah, it's really, it's really exciting. If you're enjoying this conversation and would like to hear other global perspectives on fundraising and leadership, in the nonprofit sector, then please do subscribe using the links in the show notes. If you want to find out more about our work, please do visit our website, fundraisingradicals.com. Now, back to the conversation. Back to the sort of space created for this. How, how do you measure success 
within social innovation. Have you got an agreed metrics and, and how were they agreed on? Yes. First, at least for me, is or for the stage that we are right now, everything is it's adapting constantly. You know, like it's it's not set in stone. However, there are some few KPIs that we really it's not KPIs, I'm sorry. It's like some kind of let's say uh, guidelines that we cannot move move yeah, do to farther than that. I'm not sure that I'm explaining myself. Yeah, yeah, sort of like a like like guardrails or um sort yes. of an en- envelope whatever it is. This is the sort of the but that's that's really interesting because you know part of creating the space for innovation is is about not measuring the living daylights out of it not not being to, because it's changing so much and you're evolving all the time but that's really interesting so you sort of uh, created these broad guidelines that will this is what you're doing this is how you'll do it etc and why you're doing it and exploring in this space yeah yes yes no definitely i think you need to measure like no way this i don't think you cannot measure the journey, the you know how much effort you're putting in, into a sale. You, you can measure how many meetings they, they reply faster with this email than the other one. Of course, that takes time. That takes a lot of time to to gather data, to um, analyze the data. Uh, but it's crucial. I mean, at the stage that we are right now, it's crucial for us to measure. Everything like every hour we are spending on a on a project. Every okay, so it's so it is that, but I guess it's that that's internal measurement. Okay, this is for I'm 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 I was thinking with the envelope like sort of that's external maybe external measurement of of that space is created. This is what you'll do, but the internal measurement is is vital for for the learning part as well, right? So you have data to back up the learning. Yeah. Yes. 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 Absolutely. It it, it is crucial. There's no other way to make decisions, I believe, the, uh, rather than collecting data and, and, and measuring what are you, how are you doing at every stage. So we have KPIs for um, for the sales part, for the reaching out. So we have three stages like engaging in connecting with new sectors, new companies, new people within the sectors. We have the sales part that is very since I already have like templates of services, a roster of consultants that I pre-selected to be easier to respond to any demand. Um, that part, it's kind of getting faster and faster every time. You know, it's so much different than doing a ground proposal for, I don't know, for, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't USAID, any agency, any foundation, right? Um, it's so it's so different, and it has to be faster. Because the, the another dominant sort of orthodoxy within fundraising, um, particularly if you're in place like Peru, is that it, the focus is on institutional funding, right? And that's the big chunk of cash, and yes. and that brings a sort of technical mindset, the processes which run very deep. How that that's cultural change, which is. Yeah, they're two whole different worlds. How how are you managing that within the sort of culture, the dominant sort of institutional funding culture? So from the very beginning, because this is not new. Um, I mean, in the world, 
maybe kind of new for us, but it was not new. From the very beginning uh, in my research, I spoke with other leaders of these units from nonprofits in the world. And they, there was an insight that I think I got from the third interviews. I mean, teams and teams within the organization said, no, you cannot mix the same talent you have not all the time, but, you know, it's challenging. You need to find your own team, but you cannot, I, I couldn't hire a team because th there was no, you know, I couldn't, I didn't have enough sales in order to hire a team and, and make this sustainable. Um, it was a pilot. So yeah, that's why we, we figure out the best way to do it is to have consultants, a roster of consultants that are pre-trained, pre selected so anytime i have the, the like the real opportunity it, everything just runs faster of course the experts if there is a specific consulting service that is within the scope of a strategic area that we have um, and technical expertise this expert can be part of this but few hours just to check but it's plugged in it's plugged in yeah 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 it does not depend on their time sometimes it's oh no this it, it can be done you know like i don't know there is we are having right now a project where a huge company in the cosmetic um, sector that has a lot of factories over 2000 employees at the lowest uh, level i don't know how to say you know, they run the, the, the machines, they do very specific work. Manual work. Manual work, and they're called operarios, like they, they work in the factories. Most of the time, these people are, these, these persons and families are, you know, in a very vulnerable conditions. Like, this is the, sometimes they are the only employed person in the family, and there is a lot of challenges. And this company said, I want to change the life of my employees. Like, I know I pay them fair. I know I do whatever the Peruvian government is asking me to do in terms of, you know, how I should treat my employees and, and, and stuff. But I want to do more. How? You know, show, me, show me the way. How can, how can I change the life of these 2,000 people and their families? How? And this is a huge challenge for us. It's like, you know, directly not thinking about a regular project of irreducible vulnerability, but thinking about a community, uh, yes, a community within a company. So the first reaction I got from this was, no, it can be done. Uh, no, you need like, I don't know, $10 million for this. It's like impossible. They don't have this money. That was the first reaction. But then I brought because I was excited about this idea, I share it. It's not, it can be done. Of course, I work with my team. I brought the specific consultants for this. And we are now finding ways to suggest a strategy to this company to do this with the support of, you know, other organizations, international cooperation, and why not even um, public funding that it's sometimes there, but it's not well used. So this is the mindset that we need. And it's not that the technical aspect doesn't matter. No, it's, it's just to, yeah, start the conversation, meet, meet in the middle, and, and, and this, is, this can happen, yeah. Yeah. And do you see, you know, 
talking about sort of the, the culture change on the sort of internal side, but do, do you see sort of change, a changing mindset within these companies that you're working with as they sort of work with you? So to be fair, for us, it's been only a year or so doing this in our theory of change is to promote bigger impact with the active port and funding from the private sectors. Uh, we are not there yet, but we are seeing some changes. For instance, we provide technical assistance to a communications a media, a channel. Yeah, media channel. Yeah. You know, like a, a one of the biggest in the country. And they said, oh, you know, I just need a workshop of two hours to work about inclusion so my people understand that they cannot put this word when they are sharing news. They have to use a different word. You know, like when they talk about a specific topic about women, they cannot use these words. They should use this one. So I need a workshop for two hours. We change that from only a workshop to you need to have a policy of, you know, diversity, inclusion. You need to train your HR staff in this, that, and from one workshop to a roadmap of how can they become the first channel in the country that really cares about gender equality and inclusion. So... And the conversation is still going in terms of we are implementing this, but we are happy to... And they're to, paying you yes. consultancy fee to, to, to do this as well. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So... That's really exciting. But it's not fast. What I, I don't want to, to give the idea that everything is perfect. It's not fast. It's not huge, huge amounts of money when you talk about I'm thinking about maybe my colleagues in Colombia, right? Like I know what they're going to face when trying this. It's like, oh, I can get a million dollar contract every month. No, it's it's not like that. What we have uh, encountered in this journey is, so the expectation we have for this model is not to bring only resources to the organization, of course, the surplus we get from each contract is unrestricted fund for us, and that's great. Unrestricted funds is always challenging to raise for us, so that's great. But also, it's a bigger impact that we want to create. That is, hey, we want to be the ally. <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct word to use, yeah. but you know, the partner for the companies in Peru to start talking, getting interest, doing things better when reducing vulnerability or reducing poverty, yeah, is about. And within these guardrails, these this envelope of your the space, are there companies or sectors with which you can or can't work? And, and So that, I think this might depend on the organization. Um, the due diligence process. Uh, we have a very strict due diligence, which it's great. I think it's one of our assets. Uh, again, we really consider... And, and have you developed that within Peru? Yeah, we have developed our due diligence process. Of course, there are a lot of tools out there, but we have developed our own. So we definitely have sectors that we cannot work 
at all. But for the consulting unit, again, things needed to be different. Otherwise, we couldn't just do anything. So, for instance, we usually cannot work with the mining sector. However, we have two contracts right now with the best mining companies in the country and one of the best in the world to help them uh, develop entire regions of the country. So we put on the table, we shouldn't work with mining companies. What are the reasons and why it is possible to work with these two specific companies and why it's important, how it uh, it's aligned with our vision. Are they good companies? They're not harming the environment. They're, you know, if I'm a lot of, it was a huge debate, but we opened the door so we can analyze case by case if does it worth to be working with the specific sectors and specific companies that we think we believe that they can do things good, you know. So that's that's what we where we are right now. It's challenging because I, you can imagine in Latin America the conflict around the mining companies and land rights, uh, yes, climate resources, all of that. It's not an easy conversation. It's not black and white. We believe we need to work together. Otherwise, you know. Who is going to be supporting these sectors, right? Like only, I don't know, like we, we believe there is an opportunity for us to do, to create impact by working with the sectors. But specific, carefully selecting the, the, the partners. Yeah. And, and I guess by, there's an element of self-selection as well, is that the companies that are seeking you out and who are responding, that there's an element of maybe more advanced sort of sense of social responsibility, client responsibility, equity responsibility. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you have you had to say no to companies? Yeah. And how did you how did you do that? A lot of times we had to say no a lot. A lot. Uh, unfortunately, and this is very sad because yeah, some are, some there are some companies I guess in every country that we don't understand how they're still running, right? Because they're doing so much harm in some aspects and they're, they're not really managing well their businesses. So, and no, yeah, we have said not is for us because we have a due diligence um, process. Uh, when we have an agreement about this, no, is we reply to them and say, we cannot do this. Because, and we give them the reason, like we have limited, I mean, our due diligence process is like this, we cannot do this. However, we provide suggestions, like there is, you want to do this project, there is public information about how to do this, uh, we can meet and, uh, I mean, just leave, leave the door open in terms of, not the door open at all. But, you know, like not saying, hey, get out of my face. No, it's like, yeah. just, I cannot do this for you, but here is what I can do for you. Check yeah. my, my projects. This is our studies. If you want to pursue it yourself some other way. Yeah, that, that's, it's difficult. It, it must be difficult. It is, it is. Given the early stage that you're at in this process. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that you mentioned that because, yes, it is an early stage of the services we're trying to provide, 
But if we are not clear in within the teams, what the things are, why we are doing this, and you know, the, the remind ourselves the purpose that is not only to bring some more unrestricted funds, but is to boost our way towards our purpose uh, as, as an organization. I would say it is it is clear when you need to say no. It is kind of clear. And it's not difficult. You just find a ways to to be kind or to be respectful. But it's yeah. I, I to be honest, it's not difficult. Sometimes even companies we had to say no because they don't want to pay for the value of the our technical support. You know. So and I, I would say no. This is this is the value. No, but you are a nonprofit. You really don't need to. I am a nonprofit. Yes, we are. <laughs> but. Uh, I can assure you, you won't get this with the quality of what we are going to give you any cheaper somewhere else. So for that, yeah. That, that takes that takes a lot of confidence, all of that, that sort of, that ability to say no because you have that clarity of purpose, that, that ability to uh, say this is how much, this is the price of it because we know the value of what we're offering. And I think so many organizations struggle with that but it it's so empowering when you do have clarity of purpose and have clarity of the value of the service particularly in this space yeah because it sort of frees you up and it it sort of makes very clear the space where you can and want to operate and who you can work with etc yes and it's sort of that's relevant for all corporate partnerships to be honest it's relevant for all funding partnerships i am convinced that because of the time I've been working for nonprofit specifically for care and my experience in fundraising is that the challenge is to fine-tune your value proposition that it's aligned with your higher purpose with your mission with your vision and fine-tune the audience I mean I don't believe that there is no audience for you I mean there must be there must be like a market for the goal, the purpose that you want to achieve. And there is. It's just a matter of finding, you know, the, the way to, to find your a bigger audience. If there is a partner, there is a, a group of people that they really don't value the work that you do. It's not, you shouldn't partner with them. You know, like it's, it will bring you more, more problems than benefits and that's true i i i this is so important because uh, this is true across all sort of high value fundraising it's in the word right high values that has to be valued on that side as well yes 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 so often see an imbalance between how from the non-profit side this partnership is deeply valued with a company but from the corporate side it's often that it, it's not as valued. It's not seen as core and strategic and central. But it sounds like with your positioning that you're, you're you are deeply valued and um, and therefore are able to to charge for your services and yeah, because that clarity of yeah, that that's why we are all the time trying to bring more value to our services too. You know, like it, our services are are all 
we offer is we can be your end-to-end partner to your journey of sustainability. You know, we can be your end-to-end partner. So we are constantly trying to find ways of creating more value for our, in this case, clients, but ultimate partners in this journey. And that's fun too. Yeah. Thanks to Irene for sharing her experiences today. The ups and downs of building a social innovation program from scratch. There is so much to unpack in this episode. It feels like Irene has offered us a step-by-step guide for starting and sustaining a social innovation program, but she's also given us clear guidance, more generally for creating holistic, equitable partnerships between causes and companies. As she describes, this starts with redefining our idea of value, the value that our causes can offer to companies and to reimagine the roles of our nonprofits and companies in delivering social impact. As I said, there's a lot in here, so from now on, I'm going to be sharing a summary of my reflections on every podcast conversation in a short blog that can be accessed via the website. Now, this episode was just half of our conversation. If you'd like to hear more from Irene about social innovation and impact investment, please do check out the next episode. New episodes of the Fundraising Radicals podcast land twice a month on the 1st and 15th. And if you'd like to listen to more episodes of the Fundraising Radicals podcast, read the blog posts or find out more about our work, please do visit our website at fundraisingradicals.com. Thanks for listening and for joining our exploration of the global funding ecosystem. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Fundraising Radicals podcast and that this conversation has challenged, informed, and maybe even inspired you and your fundraising leadership practice. Please do check out the show notes, subscribe to the podcast on the platform of your choice, and do visit fundraisingradicals.com to find out all the ways in which we're working to empower, equip, and engage fundraisers all over the world.